Hi, welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. So now we're going to have our joke. That's me. That's it. This is Mark. Hey guys, I'm Mark. I'm your recovered alcoholic joke teller, as they say. So here we go. Big shoes to fill here, let me tell you. Uh, The tipsy captain of an old freighter saw what looked like the light of another ship on a collision course with his. He signaled, change your course 10 degrees to the east, but the reply came back directing him to turn 10 degrees west. He sent a stronger message, I'm a Navy captain, change your course. The message came back, I'm a seaman second class, but you'd better turn your ship. Infuriated, the captain answered, I'm a battleship. Get out of my way. The final message came, I'm a lighthouse. Do as you please. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Musab. Thank you for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that might make noise or that might distract others. Let's take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation.
Okay, I hope everybody's relaxed after that. So now we are going to do the fog light prayer. So God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. And this is, uh, there's a solution straight out of the big book on page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. Now I've asked Stephen to read Spiritual Experience. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name's Steve. Hey, Steven. Spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God-consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes he's undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God-consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover provided he doesn't close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or by belligerent denial. We find that no one have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There's a principle, which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, 
Okay, so we read that because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have a purpose. So it's kind of important to know what it is. So please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane mode or meeting mode or just turn them off. Um, now I'd like to introduce our speaker. I was told he's a super secret speaker, but I've heard nothing but good things about him. His name is Rob. Let's all give him a round of applause. Make sure I have all liquids ready to go. Uh, my name is Robert. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Uh, thank you. Um, it's so good to be here, uh, and I'm very grateful that I was asked uh, to come tonight to share my experience. Uh, I'm not even sure I was the first or second backup speaker. Uh, I would assume I'm somewhere down the list on short notice. But grateful nonetheless, uh, a lot of the folks that made South Florida AA feel like home for me for the first time are in this room, and that is a part of my story that was difficult for me. You know, I, I'm from Maryland originally. Most um, of my recovery, obviously, until I moved down here, was in Maryland AA, and it was west, uh, Western Maryland, a little town called Frederick. If anyone knows Maryland, and it is an area that has uh, definite big book thumpers in it, right? And there's good recovery being shared, not everywhere in every meeting, right? I think uh, anywhere you go, there's some meetings uh, that just don't speak to me, right? And, and I'll, I'll share a little bit of that um, when I get into my story. But when I came to South Florida, it was a shock to my system because it was different. And I know that people who have moved in sobriety share a similar experience. It's like wherever you got sober first, they're doing it right. And if you go somewhere else, they're all doing it wrong, right? And when I came down here, like everybody's clapping for speakers and chanting and reading things together out loud. And like that didn't happen in Frederick, Maryland. So I thought you guys were weird. I refused to clap. And now I'm like, you know, whoop, whoop, let's do this, you know? Like, but there was a lot of stuff being shared. And I know I've heard speakers say this before that like I felt like an outsider in Alcoholics Anonymous like I felt like I was sharing a meeting that was foreign to the the meetings that I found when I first got here so I, I just happened to um, open up a when and where I'm sure I didn't actually open one up it was in an app I'm sure and I saw like big book study at whatever church that was that I don't know if it no longer exists or we just don't go there anymore, but it was at the old church and uh, found this, this group of big book thumpers and they had like uh, tape on their books and it was uh, checkered tape. And it was like, I was like, what's this about? They're like, well, we believe the, the material is, is meant to be worked quickly, right? And, and that's contrary to many people's experience or, or thoughts and and that's okay, but that, that aligned with my experience. And, um, you know, when I started reading the book, that was the experience of the first hundred. And certainly uh, Dr. Bob and Bill Wilson, right? So I just, I, I'm so grateful for these people. Like, I have my AA family back in Frederick, Maryland that, like, 
you know, my mother-in-law would, would call our litter mates, right? They're the people you first get sober with. And, you know, God willing, if you stay sober, you'll probably have lifelong relationships with those people. But then, like, these were my litter mates first uh, when I came down here. So um, just just thank you, and, and I'm so glad to be here. Um, so uh, just a little bit, a bit about me and my story. Uh, I did not intend to be here in 2022. Uh talking to you as a sober alcoholic. I, my sobriety date is December 16th, 2012. Uh, I have a home group. I have a sponsor. He knows he's my sponsor. And I'm so blessed to be able to take men through this work today. And that's like the greatest gift of my recovery is when I get to help another alcoholic. And my sponsor was very clear with me when we first sat down to do this work that that is my purpose in getting sober, right? Like I'm not too... Uh, get sober and then enjoy these great gifts of sobriety and then sit on my butt and watch Netflix. Like the, the point is for me to go help the next guy. Right. And he was very clear with me from day one. Like if you have a week sober, you need to grab the new guy that has a day sober and talk to him and tell him how you did it. You may not have a message to share with him yet, well, maybe you can show him where the restroom is. Show him where the coffee is. Maybe the new guy doesn't have a car. You can't carry the message to him. You carry him to the message, right? And it was very clear to me right from the get that this was a program about giving back to others, right? And my, I learned later that I'm selfish and self-centered. I didn't know it at the time. Like, I just thought I was awesome with a drinking problem. And, um, you know, I would later find out I have all these uh, character defects that I'm pretty sure you guys gave to me. But, um, you know, I just wasn't there yet. But it was very clear and it was very evident to me in my first meeting that, um, you know, the hand of AA was there for me. And there was people who didn't recognize me in the meeting and they approached me and they made sure that I felt welcomed. And they came up to me and they gave me like this this where and when with all these phone numbers on the back of it. It was a paper where and when. And I was like, oh, this is so cute. Um, but not only did they give me that, but they came up to me after the meeting and said, hey, you know, my name's Jason. You know, what's going on? Here's my phone number. It's on there, but put it in your phone. If you feel like you need to pick up a drink, give me a call. You know, I, I want to see you back here next week. And um, I'm just so grateful for that. Um, you know, I, I come from a... a a good family, you know, my, my parents divorced when I was 10. Um, I, I, I share briefly about my childhood because I feel like, you know, there's, there's no reason to me that I'm alcoholic. Like it was not a, some sort of trauma in my childhood. Like I had a pretty good upbringing. We didn't have a whole lot, but we always had what we needed to get by. My parents loved me. They weren't perfect. Certainly they're human and flawed and, you know, certainly, uh, at least on my mom's side, Probably could have a seat uh, here, but, um, you know, they did the best they could, and they loved me, and, uh, you know, they were strict parents, so, like, you know, I didn't get to do a lot of the things that the other kids got to do, and, you know, that was some of my resentments, because it was a little harder for me uh, growing up in, in that light, and my dad was this religious fanatic, right, and to this day, he is that, and um, that has not changed, but my relationship with him and my acceptance of his uh, fanaticism 
has changed, right? But as a kid, when every time I get disciplined, it's with like, you know, verses in the Bible and like, you know, you can't watch MTV and you can't listen to rap music and God doesn't want you doing that. Like it becomes this thing for me that it's like, you know, I'm not cool with, right? There, <laughs> this is the extent of like the problems that I had as a kid. On Sundays on my Nintendo, I was only allowed to play Bible adventures. It was literally <laughs> a... Like, I couldn't play any of my other games. It had to be Bible's adventure. Like, you had Noah's Ark, and you would get the animals and, like, throw them on the ark, and the snakes were trying to get you. Um, So that tells you, right? Like, these are the extent of my problems, but as a kid, like, I'm like, you know, woe is me. Like, how hard is my life? I I have to play Bible adventures on Sunday. And, um, you know, then I would learn later as I get older um, some of the things that my dad did that don't line up with... Uh, the ideals that I thought religious people should be living by, you know, and, and I started worshiping my own intelligence, you know, and the reason that I share this is it talks about it in our, in our book that we share, um, you know, how each of us come to this, this personal relationship with a, a higher power that we know today. Um, and, and my journey, I, I swore it off. So by the time I was, you know, in my teenage years and I saw all these things that my dad was doing and the church was doing, um, the people in the church were doing, it, it just really turned me off to religion. And I, you know, was worshiping my intelligence and I was a sworn atheist. Like if science can't prove that God exists, then God doesn't exist, right? Prove it to me. And um, it talks about it in our literature that uh I was blinded. I missed the beauty of the forest because I was blinded by some of its ugly trees, you know, and that was my experience. I'm not calling my dad an ugly tree, but I realized today through some, some inventory and being able to reflect and, and connect and learn that, you know, he's human and he's flawed too, you know, and I'm so grateful for this sick man prayer that we have in our book in the middle of the four step that helps me through all of that. And anytime I'm feeling like that with another person, you know, I have tools today on how can I be helpful, right? This is a sick person. How can I be helpful? So by the time, you know, I, I get in my teenage years, uh, I can remember my first drink. It was um, warm Bud Light in a McDonald's cup, sucking it through a straw because that's how my sister snuck it into our house. I have three older sisters. I was just talking to Steve before the meeting. Yeah, there's these photos that are still flying around the universe of uh, me cross-dressing as a youth. So uh, happy Pride Month. That's a good segue there. Um, but uh, that totally side tangent. Not sure why I shared that. But my sister snuck it in, and, uh, you know, it was disgusting, right? Um, disgusting. All I can remember is that it was gross and that I made out with her friend that night. So that was cool. Um, it was not like this... this Uh, experience that I hear people talking about of the alcoholic meeting the alcohol, right? It wasn't like this aha moment. But what I can tell you for me is that every time after that, that I got the opportunity to get outside of myself with a substance, whether it's alcohol or anything else that I could get as a teenager, that is what I did. Um, It's it's only later that I can reflect on that and look at that uh, through inventory and and really understanding this, this disease that I have and this spiritual malady, right? That that what I was looking for in the spirits was really just my thirst for God. But <laughs> tell me that back then, forget about it. Like, you are dumb uh, if you believe in God, and, you know, my intelligence is the Alpha and Omega. 
you know, and then I uh, graduate high school, I go to college, and I learned very little in the classroom, learned a lot out of the classroom, and my drinking just took off. You know, no more parental supervision. I did not finish my first year of college. I got arrested on campus and kicked out, and I was hardly going to class when I was there, so I certainly was not going to go, you know, when I had to drive an hour to, to University of Maryland. So, you know, get into the workforce, and I join um, the, the service industry. And I know there's a lot of you in here that have uh, had that experience, and that is a cesspool of drugs and alcohol. So a perfect place uh, for an alcoholic like me to be working in a restaurant. So I did that, and it's just, you know, after that, it's my, my disease gets, you know, progressively worse and worse, right? And there would be many, many attempts for me to try to stop or control my drinking, just like the book says. And many failures. I can remember my first blackout. And, you know, the book talks about, um, you know, it's, it's not the amounts that we consume or how frequently we consume that make us alcoholic. It's our reaction to alcohol, right? It is that phenomenon of craving that happens. When I put alcohol inside my body, I get really, really thirsty. And that's not normal. That doesn't happen to normal drinkers. And, you know, the blackouts are a huge part of my story, but that's not why I'm alcoholic. So if you're here and you're new and you're like, well, I never blacked out, like, book says nothing about that being a qualification. And, and I'll get more into that. But um, I can remember being 21 years old and, and thinking, like, I might have a problem with alcohol. I sobered up at 29. And so I decided to try an experiment. I was going to stop for a full 30 days. And it was uh, December was the month that I chose. So I was going to end with a grand finale on New Year's, right? So I, I was like, I got this thing, willpower, that's my answer. Like, you know, I've, I've always been able to accomplish a lot in my life through willpower. I, you know, have senior rank in multiple martial arts, like discipline, willpower, I can do this, right? And, um, you know, early on in the progression of my disease, I could put a few weeks together. So that time, I think I was probably on day 20-ish, and uh, I was at a Christmas party with my girlfriend, and her family was there, and, you know, she probably qualifies. That's not for me to determine, and her mom probably qualifies uh, for a seat in the room, and you know, I just remember, like, you know, everybody around me is drinking, and, and her mom comes up to me, and she's like, you're not drinking? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not drinking. She's like, why not? I'm like, oh, well, you know, I just want to, you know, I just show myself that I got, the, you know, that I can do. So I'm going 30 days, and um, she's like, well, that's a bit extreme, don't you think? And I was like... <laughs> Yes, yes, yes it is. And that's all that it took for me to go back to the races. And that would be the longest period of sobriety in my entire 20s. And that's all it took was her saying, that's a little extreme. Like, you're co-signing it? Done. I'm gone. And, um, you know, as, as it progressed, you know, I, I think there's a spiritual principle um, that I think applies no matter if we're drinking or not. And that's water seeks its own level. Many of you have probably heard this before. But, like, I found a way in my drinking to always surround myself in people that drank, with people that drank like me, right? So 
King alcohol really started to make all my decisions for me, whether I was aware of it or not, right? Who I hung out with, what jobs I took, where I lived, um, you know, where I went uh, to drink, what I, you know, decided to do. I, I, my first house that I bought was in walking distance of a brewery, Flying Dog Brewery in Frederick, Maryland. So that was uh, just another example of the choices King Alcohol was making for me. And, you know, it, it talks about it in Bill's story. It said liquor ceased to be a luxury. It was a necessity, you know. And, and I got to this point where, you know, I realized that I didn't drink like other people, but I just didn't know what alcoholism meant. Um, I was never court-ordered to Alcoholics Anonymous, my very first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous is my sobriety date. And, um, but I didn't know, you know, I just came to accept that I was an alcoholic, but I was functioning okay. And so as long as my bills were paid and as long as I kept the job and as long as I had a pretty girl I could, you know, take home to my mom and, um, you know, that I thought it was okay, you know, and, and I didn't realize. It's funny for, for those that have had the experience, like we, we just get to this level of acceptance of our lives and we just have no idea how rich our lives can be on the other side, right? And it's like, well, this is it. This is going to be my life, right? This is just how, who I am, right? People like me that I crack jokes, they laugh and you know, I, I was really always that stage character that it talks about in the big book. Like, I had this persona that I wanted you to believe that I was. You know, it was like this positive, outgoing guy, ambitious, disciplined, uh, successful. You know, like, I, I bought a house, I bought a new car, I bought a motorcycle. You know, like, the American dream. Like, all this kind of debt all, all around me. And uh, I wanted to impress you with my things, right? Like, another example of that was, like, I had this... Uh, half wall in my uh, townhouse that I purchased in Maryland and it was like, you know, the kitchen a little half wall, there's probably like a, a construction term for that, I don't know it and then the uh, living room and then I would line up, I don't know if anyone else did this, I would line up all my empty fancy liquor bottles like on this uh, half wall, like oh here's my 15 year single malt Glenlivet and here's, the, you know, like I became an elitist drinker, but it didn't matter, like, if I was drinking Bush Light or Glenlivet, but, like, it was all about, like, I want you to think a certain way about me, right? Your opinion of me matters way too much, right? And that's um, just what I lived through. And then I started homebrewing. I was a beer snob, so at any point I had the dual-tap kegerator and 30 gallons brewing in the closet and... It was just like, that's my maintenance. And then there was, you know, a handle of the cheapest scotch I could find that was there and another 12-pack in the fridge. And um, that was just my maintenance. But uh, it got to this point, and, um, you know, I make poor financial decisions in general, but certainly, uh, you know, without the spiritual tools that I have in my life today, it was even worse before. So, um you know, I, I buy this house and, and I can hardly afford the bills, let alone to drink the way that I want to drink. Like the lifestyle that I want is uh, hampered by this mortgage that I decided was a good idea. And this girl that said she was going to move in with me and pay half the rent did not. And then, uh, you know, I started hitting up roommates on uh, Facebook, like just, hey, do I have any friends that want to live with me? 
and no one did. So then I started going with uh, Craigslist, and that was an interesting experience, just the number of, like, inquiries into a room to rent on Craigslist was, you know, I could do a whole other talk on that, but I, there was one guy that I let see the place, and he was, like, using little winky emojis in his um, emails to me, and I talked to him on the phone, and he had a British accent, and you know, he seemed kind of cool. So I'm like, all right, man, come on by. And uh, he goes to check out the house. Like, I've never done this. I just Google, like, lease agreement. And then, you know, I'm like, yeah, it's security deposit, like, 250 bucks. It's fine. Like, I need to get somebody in here. And, um, you know, he, like, runs triathlons. He's an older guy, British accent. And he said brilliant in casual conversation, which I thought was awesome. So I'm like, move on in. You know, I don't check references. I don't do any of that stuff. I'm just like, you seem cool. Uh, so come on in and live with me. So help me pay my bills. A couple weeks into him living there, he is like, uh, I think I'm vacuuming. And he flips me this coin. And I catch it because I have cat-like reflexes. And I look at it, and it's got... Uh, a Roman numeral three on it. And I'm like, what the hell is this, man? And he's like, oh, today's my three-year um, sober birthday in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm like, wow, what a buzzkill. You know, like, <laughs> that's cool. Like, you signed the lease, bro. Like, you know how I'm living in this house. Like, you cannot get out of this agreement, right? So, um, you know, I literally was like, I didn't understand how we can recover from this, from this disease. And um, that we have this chronic illness that we can come out of better than we went into it. And uh, so literally, like, I'm thinking, like, all right, bro, you toured this place. You see this wonderful display of my fancy liquors. You see the, the handle of scotch. You see the kegerator. You see the beer in the fridge. Like... That's on you, brother. You signed it. Uh, so I'm just thinking, like, I'm going to w- come down the stairs one day and find him, like, under the tap, just going at it, right? Because he cannot control himself any longer, right? I didn't understand that the obsession to drink and use could be relieved. But I tell you what, God can use uh, us in mysterious ways. He can use Craigslist in mysterious ways. Like, there is no limit to my God's powers. Like, he is Internet savvy. Um, <laughs> And he put this example of an alcoholic in my life that um, (laughs) recovered from alcoholism. And if I were so inclined to take his inventory, which of course I am, um, there was a lot of negative things that I could say about him. Like he was kind of messy. I slept on an air mattress. I'm like, what kind of savage are you? Um, You know, all of these things. But like he was a freelance photographer He was happy, joyous, and free, and he went to these meetings, and he had these big books lying around, and, um, you know, he could go days, weeks, and years at a time without taking a drink, and I could not. You know, at that point in my recovery, it was daily blackout drinking by myself, didn't matter where, you know, it could be out at the bar, it could just be like, you know, firing up YouTube and watching cat videos and having a homebrew and I wake up blackout drunk on my floor in the morning like didn't matter it was just like my maintenance this is what I'm doing this is my life and and I'm certain there's probably nights that like he should be thanking me that I kept him sober just looking at me being like that's why I don't drink anymore um but he it was probably two years of him living with me before I got to this point 
of um, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, you know, and he, it, because he had this experience with Alcoholics Anonymous, I started getting curious about it, and I would Google it and see the steps, and it was like, you know, higher power, higher power, God as we understand him, and I'm like, oh no, like, guess it's not for me, you know, and that was probably six months before I got sober that I had that experience, and, you know, the, my ending of drinking was not like some catastrophic event, it was just one more night of just blackout drinking, being humiliated, not knowing what I did, I was thrown out of a casino in Maryland, like, coming to with an officer escorting me out, and I still to this day don't know why, I probably just fell asleep on the bar or something or said something inappropriate to the bartender. But, um, you know, it was just one more event, you know, and I I just got that, you know, I can remember sitting in my living room with a glass of scotch, neat, and I had had a sip already, hair of the dog, because I felt like shit, and the sunlight's coming in through the blinds, and I'm looking at the drink, and I put it down, and I don't remember any other time that I didn't finish my drink. And so I started uh, Googling. You see a theme here. Um, you know, meetings in my area. It was a Sunday. The 16th was a Sunday. And there was all these different meetings. There was like young, dumb, and full of AA, and downtown step group, and, you know, they had all these different letters on them, and so I call up the British roommate, and I'm like, hey, man, I think I'm going to go to a meeting. You know, leading up to this, I had started to ask him questions. I'm like, so what is up with this God as you understand him and higher power stuff? And, and he's like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about it. And that's probably a terrible <laughs> British accent. Uh, <laughs> but I tried. Uh, he's like, you know, it doesn't have to be the God that you grew up with. You know, the one that you hate your father for and the one that you think, you know, you can't connect with. Like, it can be anything. He's like, it can be a, a bowl of jello. It can be the doorknob. And, you know, having some experience in AA, I don't recommend those as higher powers. But the point was that it could be my own personal higher power. You know, it could be a God that's personal to me and it could be my own conception, however limited. And so, like, I had started to have those conversations, and I'm sure he's probably like, oh, we almost got him. Um, but then, so I call him up, and, uh, and he's like, I was like, what are these meetings? Like, young, dumb, and full of AA. It says it's at the clubhouse. He's like, yeah, well, you know, mate, like, the clubhouse, sometimes they have you pay fees and things. I'm like, okay, cool. So what's this other one? Which was not accurate. Um, but the other one, I'm glad that he had that conception of that clubhouse because that was a disaster meeting. And the meeting that he steered me towards was a step group in uh, St. John's Church, downtown Frederick. And I went in there, and I, and I already said, like, you know, the people were warm and welcoming. But what I got, like, the moment that I stepped into Alcoholics Anonymous was, was hope, you know. And the moment that I stepped in there, I felt like I was home, you know. And I experienced God, whether I was um, aware of it at that point or not. You know, and I don't remember everything that was said in that meeting, but I remember connecting to the feelings. And I remember that these people are talking about drinking the way that I drank and experiencing some of the things that I experienced. And they're laughing about it, and they've come out the other side. And they're sharing about things openly that I would never share about publicly. Now it's like, who cares? 
um, you know, wetting the bed and things like that, you know, puking on your spouse, uh, whatever that looks like for you or me, um, you know, and they were laughing about it, like, bro, don't, you know, <sighs> anyway, but th- then the hand of AA was there, and I, I got a number, and I'll tell you, you know, my wife says she's also a recovered alcoholic, like, it's because I'm such a type A personality that I just took all the suggestions and did all the directions exactly the way they told me. I don't know if that's true or not. I think, uh, you know, my experience was I was desperate enough because I tried so many times to do it my own way, try different things, try different people, try different brands, try different environments, only drinking on the weekends, couldn't do that. Like, I couldn't go more than a day uh, without drinking. And, um, you know, I was out of options. So, yes, like, here's some people, like, that are doing the deal and they seem happy, you know, and, and um, I'm so grateful that that first meeting was that message of hope. And that's why I always share about that first meeting because the second meeting I went to was in an outpatient and um, it was an open discussion meeting and very similar to what's going on right now, uh, Sandy Hook had just happened. And so that was super depressing for everybody, especially parents. And uh, it was like, I left that meeting feeling suicidal, right? I, I have heard before, like, there's no such thing as a bad AA meeting, and I do, that's not my experience, right? Like, there is uh, meetings where I come out, and I'm connected, and I feel like, you know, I met a new guy, and, you know, we're getting excited to go through the work, or, like, someone just spoke to my soul and, like, told me what I need to do through their experience. And then, you know, there's some meetings that, you know, I don't hear that message of hope, but I, I got connected to uh, a, a friend that I used to drink with, and he was sober, and he was connected to all the young people in AA. And uh, I say young, like we were late 20s, and, um, you know, he started inviting me to the meetings that he was going to, and then he would start inviting me to, like, their, you know, uh, after party of the meeting, which was usually like some crummy breakfast place, like Denny's or IHOP, like drinking crappy coffee and, you know, just yucking it up and having a good time. And I'm like, is this really sober life? Like I hadn't recovered yet, but I'm like, this is what you guys do. You just go to breakfast places all the time to stay sober. Right. And, and the fellowship carried me for a, a short time, but I'm so glad that those people encouraged me to get a sponsor and to do the work. And um, there was this really pretty girl that I met on, like, you know, day... It's during the... I think it was the Christmas Alcathon or the, the New Year's Alcathon at this church. So I probably had two weeks sober, and there was, like, this pretty blonde girl. And I'm like, there's no way she's an alcoholic. She looks way too good. And um, that was also a surprise for me, like, coming in and seeing a bunch of attractive people in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm like, this couldn't be so bad. Um, but so I meet this girl, and, and turns out she is an alcoholic, and it's one of my friend's friends. And uh, we go out to, uh, to eat together, and, you know, I'm playing it cool, of course, and because um, I'm still, like, concerned about that. Like, and everybody knows I've got two weeks sober. I'm a mess. Um, but that person, uh, we started talking, and I, she hates it when I do this. Is this recorded, Mike? Um, I joke today that she 13 steps. She hates that. She hates it. Because she didn't. 
but it's, it, it just grinds her gears. That's why I share it. So, but we start talking and she's like, Hey, you know, if you get a sponsor before your 30 days, uh, I'll get you a gift. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like what's that going to be? And, um, you know, I, I shared about this recently, like sometimes in recovery, I do the right things for the wrong reasons. Right. And that was, one of the right things that I did for the wrong reason. I was like, all right, well, you know, so I go to this meeting and, and it's a, a, a living sober meeting. So they read out of the living sober book. Don't recommend. Well, anyway, my judgments aside, there was um, a gentleman that shared is an older guy named Gary. I was like sitting next to my buddy, Dan. I'm like, he's got an awesome mess. And I like that guy. Then there's this guy, Drew, that shared. And uh, he was a little younger and he said higher power. He didn't say God. I liked that. Check that box. Don't want to talk about God. Still not okay with that. And um, Dan, what's up with Drew? He's like, yeah, Drew's nice. So, like, you know, we're talking and, um, you know, the meeting ends. And Drew is, of course, like, involved in AA and connected. And, um, you know, he is putting chairs away and doing service. And I'm, like, standing in the corner awkwardly, like, waiting for my moment to, like, ask this dude to sponsor me. And it felt like... You know, I was uh, asking a girl to a high school dance or something, which I never did because I was always so scared. And um, so, you know, after the meeting, he starts walking off. And I'm like, ah, Drew, you know, and he's like, yeah, what's up, man? He's, I was like, will you sponsor me? And uh, he's like, are you willing to go to any length for your sobriety? And I said, yes, I absolutely am. He says, cool. Do you have a big book? I said, Yes. I'm on the chapter addressed to me. It's called We Agnostics. He's like, cool. Um, We're going to start a big book study on Monday nights. It's just starting. Are you free on Mondays? I said, yes, I am. He's like, what's going on on Tuesdays? I'm like, I usually drink. So you're free. Cool. So on Mondays, we're going to do the big book study with a bunch of guys. On Tuesday, we're going to meet together. And then the other days, you know, we can link up for some meetings. And, you know, you're going to read the book on your own. And, um... And that's what we did. And I'm so grateful for that experience. We went page by page in the book from the cover page all the way through. And um, he just shared his experience with me. And he helped me not make this thing too complicated, you know. And he understood that I had this um, gift of desperation and probably a small window based on his experiment, uh, experience to do this work, right? Because I know I've seen it with sponsees or just other people in the fellowship, you know. We get sober and you know we start getting a little bit of money back in our pockets maybe we got a new girlfriend in the rooms maybe we got a new job you know we do the one two three shuffle but don't actually get the work done and then a lot of those people don't do the work and and we don't see them and i've lost sponsees that way i've had sponsees die um you know been to too many funerals right just like everybody who's been around any amount of time um to count so we started aggressively going through the steps and i can't uh you know he made the god thing really super simple for me to understand he said cool like i don't have a problem this higher power thing like you know let's just start with what attributes would you want that higher power to have if you were to have a higher power that you can turn your will and life over to and so, you know, it's like you know, all loving, all, you know, all powerful, non-judging, you know, probably a lot of things that we would share if we did the same exercise, right? And the things that you don't want that higher power to be, right? Like seeking vengeance and justice and all of these things that, like, I was kind of brought up on. And um, he's like, cool, let's start with that, you know, and, and let's do the work. And um, he's very specific about the words in this book. 
So when it says, you know, we thought, we would think. When it says we pray, we pray. When it says we write, we write. When it says next we launched, next we launched onto a course of vigorous action. And uh, very, you know, we do not delay if, if we can, you know, help it. And very specific with the timing and what's in this book. And, you know, I share all of that to say I'm so grateful for sponsorship because, uh, A, he helped me, like, navigate like what, what I'm hearing in meetings, right? Because sometimes it's, it's opinion, right? And sometimes it's things that uh, well-meaning people share because other well-meaning people shared it with them, but it's not based in our literature and it's not based in our program. So he helped me decipher like, you know, what might be their experience or their opinion versus what's actually in the book, you know? Because I would call him sometimes and be like, man, I just heard this in a meeting what's your thoughts on this? He's like, can you find it in the book? And then, you know, he would offer like, here's where I think that came from. And here's my experience. Or I don't have experience with that. So let me connect you to somebody who does, right? And he was very clear with me right up front that his job as a sponsor was to get me through the work as quickly as possible, get me connected to God so I could carry this message to the next alcoholic. It was not to be my financial advisor. It was not to be my relationship coach. It was not to be any of that stuff. Uh, now, if he has experience, he'll tell me that. But most of the time, it's like, let's read the book. You know, let's get you into the solution. You know, or if he doesn't have experience, he'll point me in the right direction. And, and that's where we started in our sponsorship journey, and that's what I always do with my guys and just level set. Like, is this what you're looking for? Or are you looking for, like, a dad because you had dad issues? Or, like, you know, are you looking for some money? Or are you looking for someone to just listen to all your problems, right? And... Um, you know, I'm just so grateful for the process in here. You know, I heard it when I came in, and it, it was my experience that, like, if your 11-step God looks anything like your third-step God, then you probably miss something in the middle. And, you know, so what started off with, like, these attributes on a piece of paper blossomed into this relationship that continues to change daily to this day, you know. And, and I started to experience things like serenity. Uh, I think I was about 45 days sober when I had this thought of, like, hey, like, I haven't thought about a drink probably in a few days, you know, and it was probably around the time of my fifth step. And, you know, I, I, I could drive by my liquor store without looking at it. I don't know if anyone else did that, but like in early recovery, I'd drive by and be like, well, you know, there it is. You know, can't go in there. Like, I don't know what I was looking for. Like the people no, like just weird um, leftover mannerisms from my sickness. And, um, you know, I started to, like, the world just started opening up, you know, and I started to have, like, real relationships with people, and I started, like, almost having out-of-body experiences where I would be, like, in a conversation with somebody, and be like, I'm actually listening to them, and I actually care about them, you know, it wasn't just this internal dialogue that was going on in my head all the time, like, waiting for my chance to talk, you know, and I started to have these meaningful relationships with people that wanted to do nothing other than be my friend or help me, you know, they wanted nothing in return, and that was the people in Alcoholics Anonymous um, that taught me how to have those, those types of relationships, and, um, you know, then I get to, to carry this message to another alcoholic, and, and that's where, for me, that's my primary purpose, right? And that's where it really starts to mean something when you're sitting across from a sponsee and taking them through the work and you see the lights come on, you know? And then 
when you walk into a meeting and they're sitting down with their sponsee and taking them through the work, through the book, you know, and then it's just like this, you know, like that's the release for me because it's like I know they're going to be okay. You know, if they continue to do this work, they're going to be okay because they're doing that intensive work with other alcoholics, you know, and my experience is when I rest on my laurels, I can be just as crazy, if not crazier, um, than when I was drinking because I don't have my liquor solution and I'm disconnected from my real solution, which is God. And man, then I get right back into my crazy thoughts and these things in my life that are blessings start becoming burdens, you know, like that pretty girl that 13 stepped me, uh, we eventually would get married and uh, have two beautiful baby girls, and we would move from Maryland to South Florida the day after we got married, and that's a whole other story. Uh, but she was a rider, and uh, she you know, made that move right after our wedding, and we, we got down here, and now we have these two beautiful baby girls, and God willing, they won't see either of us drink in their lives. You know, they, my wife has 11 years sober. So, uh, she's a little ahead on the journey. And, you know, I am not even the best AA in my own house. And it's so cool to be married to somebody that is on this journey with me and, um, you know, speaks the same language, but also understands like, well, you know, what it's like to be an alcoholic. And sometimes she's like, I got to go now on a meeting. And I'm like, eh, it's probably my fault. Um, you know, and like sometimes like I'll be off the beam and I'll see her working with sponsees and I'll see her doing her meditation practices. And, you know, it'll inspire me and it'll show me like what, what I'm not doing. And sometimes it's the other way around. And like she'll be real resentful because she's like, I got the kids and you're off doing step work. And I'm like, Okay, did you like, you know, later you'll talk to your sponsor about that and, you know, see how ridiculous that might sound, um, you know. <laughs> but, but that's, you know, I was leaving today, um, you know, when, when Mike Chase called me earlier, I was taught that, you know, whenever somebody asks you to participate in AA, when your brain is looking to say no, you say yes. But I have like this other stipulation now, which is like, you know, I'll say yes, but I also have to ask the boss uh, what she's doing and if it conflicts with her plans and the family, child care and things like that. But thank God she's plugged in, right? So she's like, yes, enjoy your time with God. I'm doing step work until 6.30. You know, just get the girls from school and just go have fun, right? And it, it's just cool to be, um, you know, on that journey with her and, and um you know, have that in my life. And, and every time I want to micromanage her life or her recovery or take her inventory or suggest something to her, like I've learned at this point not to, uh, first of all, because, you know, when she's plugged in and she's doing the work and she's helping girls and she's staying connected to her sponsor and her network and all these things, what comes out like of actual like God speaking through other people is way better than I was going to suggest anyway. So it's like I've just learned to shut up. Like, her recovery is none of my business, and my recovery is none of hers. So maybe she'll hear that on the recording. Um, <laughs> but um, all jokes aside, you know, like, it, it's, 
it's, it's not all rainbows and sunshine and recovery. And I think sometimes, you know, we, certain speakers might paint it that way, right? And life still happens. But, um, you know, I, I had a, my cousin Ryan, uh, who I adored and idolized as a child. He was older than me. He was cooler than me. He was handsome. He always got the girls. He was like, he won the Junior Olympics for Taekwondo. He was invited to the Olympics in Sydney in 2000, seven-time Georgia State champion, all this kind of stuff, like coolest guy, love this guy. Uh, always looked up to this guy. When I first got sober, right around Christmas, call him on the phone, uh, and I start talking to him. I'm like, yeah, man, I got like seven days sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And he's like, oh, man, that's sweet. I got two months I'm like, what? No way. Uh, you know, still trying to be like you. He's like, cool, man. Have you read the doctor's opinion yet? I was like, no. He's like, cool. Read it and give me a call back tomorrow. He's like, um, you know, look for a sponsor, but until then, just keep calling me every day. You know, and, and I don't know why some of us stay or why some of us get it and some of us don't, you know. And um, about a year sober, that girl that I would eventually marry decided she didn't want to talk to me anymore. And that hurt my feelings. And so I got really close to God and the men in my network around that, right? How, like, how could she do that to me? And, um, and then I get a call when I'm in a meeting on a Monday night from my mom that says my cousin just took his life. You know, and um, what I can say is that a, I stayed sober. B, I did not think about a drink. My sister asked me at some point during that experience, have you felt like you needed to take a drink? And I said, not until you said that, so thank you. <laughs> Hadn't even crossed my mind. And that's a miracle. Because if that happened uh, when I was in my active addiction and drinking, like I probably would have followed suit. You know, He meant that much to me. And, and what I can tell you is... At that time, I was already close to the men in my network, and, and I was already in pain from that little filly. And, um, you know, but I got to show up to the funeral, and um, I got to show up for my uncle who's burying his only son. And I got to show up uh, for his three kids that he left behind and be there for them. And I got to do all that without making it about me, you know, like woe is me don't you see how much pain I'm in and I got to be of service and that's only because of what the people in Alcoholics Anonymous taught me and I had another spiritual experience in there with his body and um, you know it's, it's why I continue to have the responsibility to carry this message to anyone who needs it you know and if it can save another Ryan uh from that because I can feel batshit crazy and suicidal in recovery. You know, like I, I think I started with that, which led me here. Um, and I know that that's where a lot of people get to, you know, and, and it's, um, we don't have to, right? It's, it's uh, we have the tools today and, and there's people you can talk to. And, you know, I, I saw this ticky-tocky thing the other day. I'm too old for the ticky-tocky, but it was like, <laughs> One of these things where it was a, a lady saying, who do you talk to when you feel the absolute worst or when you're feeling awful? And like each little clip of a video was a bunch of men saying no one, right? Because 
men don't talk about that stuff. And uh, it just made me so grateful for Alcoholics Anonymous, sponsorship, fellowship, uh, that I have people that I can talk to about that stuff, and, like, it's okay. And most of the time, if I call my sponsor or another man with some stuff that I'm feeling really cruddy about, and I'm feeling maybe some shame or some guilt, I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I just did that last week. You know, that's cool. Don't worry about it. Like, you're not unique in that, by the way, right? Or, you know, I have a buddy that has that same experience. Why don't you call him? Right. And uh, I'm just so grateful uh, for Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, you know, I'll just end on this. Um, You know, I'm a what do they call it here? A one chip wonder or a white chip wonder or I think back home they called it a one nighter or a one night stander. I'm not sure what it was. It was something different. Right. So the first time I came in Alcoholics Anonymous, I've stayed sober. And I know that's not everyone's experience. And um you know, I, I have had conversations with my sponsor about that, and he has that same experience. There's a lot of people that have that same experience. And, you know, we would talk about it, and I'm like, yeah, but this guy is relapsing over here. Like, what if relapse sh- is, should be part of my story? And he's like, it doesn't have to be, you know? And, like, what kind of a sick thing to say is an alcoholic in early recovery anyway? Like, maybe relapse should be part of my story. Um, but he's like, it doesn't have to be, you know? And I heard a speaker say... Very early on, um, you know, why that is. He said, it's because this is a spiritual program and God doesn't fail. You know, I fail all the time. I fall short all the time. I screw up all the time. It's not my job to be perfect. That's God's job, right? Just as long as I continue to do this work and put one foot in front of the other, I have a chance. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. All right, guys, one more round of applause for Rob. That was amazing. So, and then I have um, Mark to read the secretary's report. Hey, Mark. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going to go around. Also, if anyone would like to donate via smartphone, there is a QR code on the back table there. If you'd like to do it that way, that's fine, too. While the baskets are going around, I've asked Gus to come up here and read the recovered statement. We read this notice in this group to identify. We read this notice to explain why people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering, and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Here is Gus. Hello, Gus, alcoholic. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would not be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thanks for that. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the 4th to the 2nd edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to A and really tried, 50% of them got sober at once and remained that way. 
25% of them sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can I please see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics in the room tonight? Cool. That's like 90%. Does anyone need a sponsor? Nobody needs a sponsor. What's up with that? Okay. So if you do, um, don't be shy. Get with someone with, your, with their hands raised. We'd love to guide you back to God through the 12 steps. A couple quick announcements. This is my favorite part of the group. This is great. So uh, Broward County Intergroup, for those of you that don't know, most of you probably do know, but um, it's where you go for medallions, big books, other AA literature. They're open six days a week now. BCIC, this is a committee that brings groups to the outside, jails, institutions, rehabs. Do we have anyone on that committee that would like to share more than to my knowledge? No, okay. Service helps keep us sober, apparently. Um, we, want, we encourage everyone here to get involved. There's plenty of volunteer opportunities to go around. The 2022 Founders Day picnic is this Sunday, June 5th, rain or shine, meeting at 2 p.m., food, it's right down in southwest Fort Lauderdale at Snyder Park, we'd love to see you there, and then we meet, we meet here, obviously, but we have, we had Rob tonight, we have Bobby coming back for, I believe, one or two more series. Then we have Marion M. from Boca Raton, Florida. She's doing three-week series, and she's going to finish on up for us. And then we meet every Monday here, third floor of this building. We have a Joe and Charlie-style big book study. It's a tri-chair meeting. Um, we meet at 6.30. The meeting starts at uh, 7.15. The fellowship starts at 6.30. I think that just about does it for my report. I'll give you you back. See you. Thank you. So um, we have tonight's session and all the past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. And I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study, which Mark touched on. And to those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle. So now we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Lord in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Thanks. 
and turn each way Flowers blooming all the time Outside my door Never before I had to change everything To realize That today is the best day of my life Cause this broken man had traveled Far and wide Through the great divide Through his own heart Yeah Just about to smile. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Take. Got one man that just won't save me. 